Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, as the Packers move toward preparation for the Minnesota Vikings in Week 2, a couple of things to still look back on Week 1 here and the victory over the Chicago Bears. And in particular, I want to discuss another aspect of this defensive performance that was obviously very, very impressive. One of the best defensive performances start to finish, first quarter to fourth quarter, that we've seen in Green Bay in a long time. And I went through my ritual of the film review and my weekly regular season weekly piece what you might have missed for fans who are familiar with it that is now up on packers.com and what I examined in this which I didn't realize when I was watching the game from the press box but with the Bears only converting three out of 15 third downs it's like okay well how did the Packers do this defensively three out of 15 you know that's a, a pretty low percentage to hold the opponent to you look at the film on third down Mitch Trubisky never saw the same look in terms of pressure package, you know, on a third down passing situation. He never saw the same look twice. Mike Pettin, he'd put six guys up in the front, he'd rush four. He'd put six guys up there, he'd rush five. It was different guys rushing and dropping. One time he put seven guys up there and rushed only three. And two of them got pressure because the Bears' offensive right. line was so discombobulated by it. Now... I don't know if you can play defense this way for 16 games. Eventually, <laughs> your your bag of tricks kind of runs out, doesn't it? But but it was really something to go through the film. 15 third downs for the Bears, and I don't know if Mike Pettin gave Mitch Trubisky the same look twice. Yeah, it's funny, and it's one of those things that when you said that, and obviously when you had the story, it's sort of in the back of my mind was like, yeah, I mean, they're throwing a lot of you know packages at this guy. You don't really realize just the full multitude of what those packages truly look like. I mean, the one I keep going back to, <clears throat> it was, they ended up, uh, I think they either called timeout or there's a false start, but it was where they had overloaded on the right side where it was Preston and Zadarius Smith both coming off one edge. Right, right. And the other, you had Dean Lowry and Kenny Clark on the other side. I mean, just, just looks you're not used to seeing in pressure packages that just aren't familiar uh, when you look at the full gamut of the NFL. And yeah. Let's be honest, Mike. I mean, the the one thing, you go back to that first news conference that Brian Gutekunst had after he talked about all these offseason acquisitions that they made. They wanted to put more tools in Mike Pettin's toolbox. That was the point of this offseason. That wasn't just strictly about the caliber of player, and certainly they got some high-quality free agents from this class, but they wanted guys like Preston and Zadarius Smith who can play in different roles yeah. and have that interchangeability. This game was the perfect reflection of that and how you're seeing that into reality the other thing that stood out to me too not that this was a part of your story but both of those guys basically played every down too yeah they, so when they you didn't ask, come off the field when you ask about whether or not the Packers can stay in those packages can Preston Smith play all but one defensive snap the entire game I think Sedarius Smith might have had four or five off so yeah they built this defense around those guys up front and as we saw with some of the looks that they gave Trubisky on third downs they really are going to, they want to follow through with this in those pressure packages. Yeah, well, if you want to see what some of those third downs look like, the video clips are part of uh, my What You Might Have Missed piece. They're interspliced throughout a text explanation of kind of what was going on. But what really stood out to me as I was going through them, you know, we've talked about how 
the that Mike Zimmer double A gap right. mug look that uh, that he's sort of trademarked, and a lot of teams obviously use it as well. The Packers do, where you have two linebackers who are lined up at the line of scrimmage on either side of the center on a third down. You don't know if both guys are going to come, if both guys are going to drop, if one's going to come and one's going to drop. But what was interesting to me in going through this and the way Pettin was using those looks is sometimes it was Raven Green next to Blake Martinez right. in the other A-gap. Sometimes it was Preston Smith in the other A-gap. Sometimes it was Zadarius Kyler Fackrell in the other A-gap. And Kyler Fa- I mean, he just kept shifting guys around and there was no way to get a there was no way to get a bead on exactly how things were playing out. There was another snap where there's a six-man front, three guys drop into coverage. But it's a four-man rush because the fourth guy is coming from the second level. Right. It's one of the safeties. I mean, the the mixing and matching and the change-ups that were being thrown on third down. And, I mean, hey, Mitch Trubisky's still a young quarterback. That's exactly what you want to do. The more varied looks you can give him, the greater chance there is that maybe it's something he hasn't seen yet, but also making him constantly adjust because the quarterback – has a lot of responsibility in calling the protection, the quarterback in the center. They have to call protection and make those adjustments. And if they don't make the right adjustment in a, cer- in a certain instance, then there's somebody who's not being blocked, right. and then that's how you end up getting pressure. And, and Trubisky did not have a lot of time to throw in that game. And like I say, you can't just play the X's and O's scheme game all the time. you got to be able to beat your man, beat the man across from you, especially when you get into the fourth quarter and whatnot. But, boy, this was this was some uh, mixed bag that Mike Pettin threw at the Bears' offense. The first thing, uh, as far as the safety blitzes are concerned, there's so little you can draw from from preseason. Right. But you could actually see in, the, in those games how much Pettin wants that to be a part of the defensive scheme, whether it's Adrian Amos – you know, whether it is, uh, you know, maybe even Darnell Savage dropping down a little bit. We saw some of the reserve safeties do it in the preseason and even in some of the practices. And I think you're seeing why particular guys fit well into his defense when he wants to deploy those type of players. There was a play that even you brought up about how they lined up seven on the defensive front, and then they ended up only rushing three. And yeah. I think one of them was Amos, and the other one was Kenny Clark. I mean, then they dropped the rest. Those are the type of games you can play when you start to put the quarterback on tilt a little bit. And they were successful on that. They were even able to drive that one home with, I think, maybe Zadarius Smith was yeah, the Yeah, Zadarius rusher. Smith was the third one. And fans always complain, like, oh, a three-man rush never works. That was Don't as effective do that. as well, you're going to see. Exactly. It was a three-man rush, and two guys actually helped flush Trubisky out of the pocket. The Bears' offensive line just didn't have an answer for that. Seven guys up front, four of them drop into coverage, and they just didn't, they didn't respond to it uh, properly. The other thing I want to just touch on really quickly when you mentioned – the, the double A gap looks and what they've done with Blake Martinez. Blake Martinez now has six sacks uh, with Mike Pettin yeah. in this defense uh, over the last 17 regular season games. Right. It is really remarkable how well he's fit in here. And I understand there's certain scheme adjustments and there's things that the defensive coordinator is doing to free Martinez up for those opportunities. But how effective Martinez has been being able to get through and be able to capitalize when he does get the hole, when he does get the rush. He's really fits this defense well, and I think that's why, you know, I know people talk about the depth at inside linebacker, and you know they, they want to know who's going to be that next guy up. Certainly, the Packers want to establish that player, but on an every down basis, when everybody's healthy, Blake Martinez is an every down player for this defense, and I think plays like that show you why because of 
not just what he offers as a traditional inside linebacker, but being able to be smart and savvy to find those opportunities to get after the quarterback when he gets deployed. Yeah, the one sack that he did have in the game, it was actually the second third down. It was on the Bears opening yeah. series. And on the first third down, he had come up in that mug look in the A-gap and he dropped into coverage. Then on three plays later, the very next third down, he's in the exact same spot. A different guy was next to him in the other A-gap. And then this time Martinez came, you know, shot the gap between the center and the guard. Nobody blocked him. He got a he got a clean um, he got a clean charge at Trubisky, and Trubisky was on the ground before he could even look for a receiver. And you got to remember, I mean, this is a 237-pound football player that is running through the the beefiest, biggest part of an offensive line. And, <laughs> yeah. and I don't mean this to be disrespectful to Joe Thomas, but there were a lot of times where Dom Capers would try to do something similar with Joe Thomas. Thomas very rarely was just able to get home in those plays because you're talking about a 228-pound man, and he's getting hung up on a guard that maybe is weighing 90, 100 pounds more than him. Sure. I just think it's a credit to Blake Martinez that he can keep the offensive lines you know, truthful in what he's able to accomplish there and be effective in that way. Yeah. Well, another aspect honest, of the game. Keep him honest. Yeah, Sorry. there you go. Another aspect of the game that uh, is definitely worth revisiting, and you've got a story on our website related to this, um, your occasional series that we call Player on the Rise. And quite frankly, a pretty easy choice with this one because second-year punter J.K. Scott, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the situations – everything that went into his performance in a defensive struggle right. out there at Soldier Field. J.K. Scott, definitely a guy who deserved a game ball, and uh, and he was he was featured in your piece. And statistically, boy, you can't start a season any better than, uh, than what he just did. Especially given the circumstances. I mean, you're going to go back and you're going to look at statistics. There's going to be games where he had a higher gross. There's going to be games where he had a higher net. But the fact of the matter is he punted a career-high nine times in this ball game. The Packers' defense continually got stops when they needed them. But, you know, that's one half of the equation when you're trying to dictate field position and tempo. When the offense sputters, it's never a good thing for momentum. But it can be compounded if the punter isn't able to at least, you know, maintain the field position. Mm-hmm. I thought J.K. Scott in this game in particular did a phenomenal job of being able to dictate the terms in which the game was played. And he was going up against a pretty decent punter himself. You know, Pat O'Connell on the other side, he was holding his ground. Trevor Davis didn't get a lot of chances for returns. Very true. But in the critical moments when J.K. Scott needed to make a punt, the last one that everyone keeps talking about is that final one. You know, there's one minute and 50-whatever seconds left. He needs to be able to pin the Bears back. He uncorks a 63-yarder, which ends up being brought back even a couple more yards after a holding call on the Bears. That's what makes him start their 14, and that's what set up the four and out for the Packers' defense. I was asking Kenny Clark about it in the locker room on Monday. He said, you know, the way he's booming punts right now, that's flipping the field for this team. So. At the end of the day, Mike, this is what special teams needs to do. That is where you don't want to give up chunk plays and you want to be able to maintain your leverage in that capacity. J.K. Scott being able to control his punts for the most part. I know there was one in the middle field he wanted back, but other than that, you know, he did a really good job in this game of being able to make sure the Packers still maintain that momentum regardless of the situation. Yeah, he had the one early in the game when he was punting basically out of the back of the right. end zone when the Packers' offense had gone nowhere. He put it down the middle of the field. Cohen got a good return. The Bears were starting at the Green Bay 36-yard line, but to the credit of the Packers' defense, they were able to hold him to a field goal, and then that ended up being the only points the Bears scored. I thought Scott 
caught one other break where he had hit one, not the greatest punt, and it was kind of down the middle of the field. But Cohen didn't field it, and it took a nice bounce. Yeah. And I think that was that was you know, the his, other sixty. His other, yeah, his other sixty-plus yarder there. But what I will say too, when you look at the nine punts and the statistic that five of them were inside the opponent's twenty-yard line, we've seen it so many times, Wes, where a lot of times punters they. They go for that big hero punt, you know, where they're they're trying to drop it on, you know, like the four yard line yeah. or the three yard line and trying to get, you know, just the right lucky bounce to really pin a team, you know, inside the five. Hey, I'll take the one that goes straight up in the air and they have to fair catch it on the ten. I'll take that every time over going for those hero punts that then, you know, seven times out of nine are gonna go into the end zone and they get the ball at the twenty. That's not what you want. Make him fair catch it on the 10-yard line. That's a great spot for your defense to be in, and he did that a handful of times in this game. Yeah, and it was interesting, too, because he talked about that 30, the punt that ended up going to the 36, and he mentioned that's where they ended up getting their three points. Right, but that's right. the You talked this week a lot about the, the narrow margins. That's one of those type of plays that when you just give them enough yardage, they're going to be able to find a way to score points even if the defense holds serve. The thing I like about that idea that you just laid out there is that you know, Dom Capers would talk about this a lot. If you take care of your business and don't give up explosive plays, the more you force an offense, the longer you force the offense to sustain a drive, the less likely it's going to be that they're going to be able to do that. So by putting them at the 10 instead of the 20, it might sound like a small thing, but in reality, that's an extra first down. Yep. And you know, if you're able to not give up the big chunk plays and not get penalized, that is what is going to ultimately allow you to maybe get that stop at the 50 instead of your 40, where now they're thinking about going for it on fourth down or they have to make a decision on their kicker. Exactly. That extra yardage can go a long way in games like this. And, I again, J.K. Scott, it's a long season. He talked about it before. He felt like he kind of wore down down the stretch last year. He needs to be able to maintain that momentum. Right. But listening to what Sean Menenga has said about him, in his approach this year, I think you're seeing a young guy that's maturing because the leg talent's always there. We've seen it. It's just about being able to be relaxed, mature, and following through on what you need to accomplish. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to get your thoughts here, Wes, on um, that opening Monday night football game at the Superdome in New Orleans. New Orleans Saints hosting the Houston Texans, two teams that a uh, lot of uh, – a lot of football analysts, a lot of fans out there expecting to be in the mix in January here in the postseason. A really interesting AFC versus NFC matchup to kick off Monday Night Football. And uh, boy, what a football game, huh? What a football game. What a last two minutes of that football game. It's funny, for the Packers, this probably didn't go the way you wanted it to. Right. Anytime an AFC team can beat a, a contending NFC team, that always to have that in your back pocket at the end of the season, that's a, that's a benefit. Yeah. But I'll say this, man. The thing that stands out to me is Drew Brees, his poise, his moxie at 40 years old. You know, I mean, that was Deshaun Watson made two incredible throws to be able to come back, get the answer. They missed the extra point. The kicker was roughed. They have to kick the extra point again. Now it's tied. Or now they whatever it worked out to be. Um, yeah, then they then it, Houston it it. Houston got the lead on the extra point. It would have it, it would have been tied on the miss yes. if not for the penalty. So and yeah. then Drew Brees saddles up, goes back out there, <laughs> 30, gets the thirty seven seconds on the clock. In managing the game, it was funny. A guy like me, I'm just immediately thinking, call the timeout. He got two first downs, left himself with six seconds or whatever it was, yeah. and then. A mind-boggling decision from Houston to go into prevent. Yeah. Even though the Saints had the timeout left, they go into prevent. 
Yeah, they allows had, them 10 yards. They, they had three guys that were 35 yards yeah. off the line of scrimmage playing way back. They only rushed, you know, I believe they only rushed two guys or something like that. And, and yeah, I'm with you. I, I thought Breeze was going to call the timeout after the second completion yes, right. at about 15, 16 seconds when they were at midfield. I thought, oh, okay, he's going to have to call it there. And he rushed him up to the line and spiked it. And I was like, wow, well, yeah, now you can still use the middle of the field. But, um, um, but yeah, Houston defensively, not exactly sure of the call or what they were what they were afraid of there. They conceded the ten yards in the middle of the field with the Saints having the timeout left. Now a fifty-eight yard field goal. Yeah. I mean that's you figure that's probably a less than fifty-fifty proposition. So maybe that was their thinking that rather than let you know Breeze potentially beat him deep with something down the sideline. Um, they would give up the ten yards and and hope the guy would miss the long kick, but uh, but indoors in a dome, you know, he drilled it, and the Saints yeah. are one and zero. And Will Lutz is a really talented kicker, and he's kicking inside his own building. I mean, if that's an NRG, maybe that's the approach you have because he's not going to be as familiar with it. Yeah. But Will Lutz knows that stadium as well as any kicker in the league, so to be in that position to hit a game winner, a career long, uh, that didn't surprise me. The one thing I was interested in, some people were asking me this on Twitter, maybe you can answer it for me. Breeze completes the catch that sets up the, the the kick and ends up beating the timeout with two seconds left. If the Texans defender would not have touched the receiver after he falls to the ground, would the clock still run, or is the receiver given? No, the clock would still run, right? If the if the if the if the offensive player gives himself up, if he concedes, the offense can call a timeout. Okay. So so, so even, even if, so even, even if he okay. hadn't been touched with with the receiver going down on his own and conceding, which is clearly what he was sure. told to do, okay. whether it's Sean Payton on the sideline next to a ref or Breeze next the to the ref on the field, they can they can call the timeout if if their player has conceded and given up on the play. So Houston touching the receiver that had no bearing. I still wonder no though if you're Houston it. though if you just if that's the plan if you're gonna let him have the catch like I'm surprised the guy went up and still touched him but what it yeah. is what it is yeah. um and obviously the Saints came out with a big victory the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson man I I gotta I have a lot of respect for them though um that's gonna be what, an exciting football team with what they did losing Lamar Miller right off the bat right. Carlos Hyde comes in and kind of picks up the torch for them Deshaun Watson's a winner dude as long as his knee holds up here and he doesn't have any more setbacks with that I think that guy's gonna have a really special career. Yeah, well, it was uh, it was quite the week one in the NFL. Yeah. As and we, then the Raiders won. As we, yeah, the Raiders <laughs> with all of the uh, controversy and the turmoil and everything uh. swirling around. Then they go out, and uh, I have to admit, I went to bed. I didn't see. Uh, you didn't stay uh, up for that game. No, Mike? I didn't stay up for oh. Raiders Broncos. Sorry, I had I, to. I, I just. Crashed. I had to watch and see exactly what this was going to look like. And I got to give John Gruden. I got to give that defense a lot of credit too, for as bad as they were last year defensively, uh, holding Joe Flacco in check throughout the first first half. You know, second half he had some success. But I'll say this, man, Derek Carr is a player, and for him to have that type of game against Vic Fangio's defense, the the big reason why Vic Fangio's a head coach right now, that right. scheme, yeah. Carr, 22 of 26, 259 and a touchdown. They looked really good in that game. It's going to be uh, – they're going to be the big storyline all year long, seeing exactly how that team responds. It's going to be uh, – it's going to be intriguing, to say the least. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.